Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Well, good morning to you, those of you who are at the Clemens campus, and good morning to those of you who are joining us at Sherwood Forest. We're excited as you're launching this first service at uh, your new location. We're praying for you. Uh, By the grace of God, we are looking forward to great things to come from your work, your labors there in Winston-Salem. So we are praying for you. We are proud of you, and we are eager about all that God's going to do in the days to come. So welcome to you as well. We've been spending time over the past several weeks looking together at the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're, we're looking at the gospel because Christ calls us to go. The scripture says, Jesus says, go into all the world. Jesus also taught us to go because he said, our world is waiting. There are people who are thirsty, who are eager for all that he has to offer and for all that he died to give. And so the message of our theme this year and the title of this series is, Go, the World is Waiting. Now, thus far, We've uh, been looking together at the imperative of going, and we said that Jesus commands it, and the reason Jesus does command those who are his people to go is precisely because people are thirsty, people are actually waiting for this good news, all of us are spiritually thirsty, all of us need the life and the forgiveness, the purpose and the hope that only Christ can give. We said, secondly, and have said thus far, that before we go, we have to be clear about what the gospel is, because the true gospel is in itself the power of God for salvation. What is this gospel? The gospel is specifically the gospel of grace that announces the good news that in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, God has done everything necessary for people to be set free from their sin, the power of it, the penalty of it, and born again, receiving a new life like Christ, that this good news is received by faith, by a wholehearted embrace of Christ, giving him all of ourselves and pledging to follow him all the days of our lives. The gospel of grace announces it is by faith alone in what Christ has done that we're saved. It is by faith alone in what Christ has done that believers live. It is by grace alone, by faith alone, that uh, uh, believers move out into the world and share that same gospel. We've got to be absolutely clear on the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. But there's a second thing believers need, and that is a firm grip on this gospel of grace that they accept and live and share. Uh, If they don't have a firm grip on that gospel, here's the reality. The gospel that saved them can be lost by them. 
Now, I want to pause and say, I didn't say that those who are saved can be lost. What I said was, the gospel of grace that saved them can be lost by them. They can lose the gospel, the good news of grace. The gospel that saves, ironically, can be lost. Now, I said that uh, because this is part of the... um, crisis that we're living in and part of the challenge we face in the 21st century. It, was a, it is a challenge the church has always faced. I want to talk with you today about how it happens and why it happens that the gospel gets lost by those who've received it. So we want to ask that specific question this morning. We want to ask, how does the gospel of grace that saves get lost? And for an authoritative answer, we want to turn this morning to Galatians chapter 1 and chapter 3, beginning on page 972 in the worship Bibles provided for you. Either you will find them underneath the seat in front of you, or you will find them uh, underneath you if you're on a front row. This is an urgent question because the answer has eternal consequences. Now, as you find your way there to Galatians chapter 1, we're going to begin at verse 1. Let me set this up for us. The context here is this. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the churches in Galatia. Galatia was in the central region of what is now modern-day Turkey. He is... He begins, and you'll notice this in verses 1 through 5, the way he always begins every letter. Very typical, very typical. But at verse 6... Everything that's typical stops, and he goes right to the heart of his message. And we find that uh, Paul describes the Galatians as being in an urgent spiritual crisis, and he's scandalized by where they are and what they're doing. So let's read together Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. Paul says uh, in the opening of this letter, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace, there it is, of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But listen, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you, should announce to you another gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, which quite frankly means let him be condemned to hell. Pretty strong language. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, look with me there. Paul continues and he says, you foolish Galatians, Who bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would love to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit? Were you converted by the works of the law? Or were you converted by believing what you heard when you heard the gospel? Now, with this challenge to the Galatians, Paul sheds light on the mystery, both of how and why professing Christians lose 
or can lose the gospel by which they were saved. He actually reveals three things in these passages, Galatians 1 and Galatians 3. He reveals, first of all, how the gospel that saves gets lost. He reveals why the gospel that saves gets lost. And then thirdly, he reveals how the gospel that saves gets found. How the gospel that saves gets lost why the gospel that saves gets lost, and how the lost gospel that saves gets found. How, why, and how. This is such an important message. I'm going to do this again. We're going to look at the first point today, and we'll look at the next two, by God's grace, uh, next Sunday together. But I want us to look carefully at how the gospel that saves gets lost for this is one of the greatest challenges facing mothers and fathers regarding their children, facing grandmothers and grandfathers about their grandchildren, facing churches about their children and their students. This is one of the greatest challenges of our age. We need to see and we need to hear what Paul has to say. Go with me again, Galatians 1, 6 to 8, how the gospel that saves gets lost. I'm astonished. Paul says, verse 6, that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, that you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there really is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But remember, even if we or an angel preach any other gospel than the gospel we preach to you, let them be accursed. Now, Paul uncovers for the Galatian believers the deep spiritual trouble that they are in. And I want you to notice what he says. They are in the process of abandoning or deserting, not the gospel so much, but the one who gave them the gospel, who called them to the gospel. They're in danger of abandoning the father himself. The word for deserting in the original language means to let go, to forget. It's the word that was used to uh, describe the transfer of, an, of one's allegiance as troops that would desert uh, would do. In fact, our English word for turncoat comes from this word. So Paul is calling the Galatians spiritual turncoats. How does he know that they're spiritual turncoats? He says because they are in the process of turning from the gospel that saved them to a different gospel, and they're depending on a different gospel for their lives and for their salvation. And this is plainly contrary to the gospel he preached to them, which was a gospel, of course, of grace, that God saves by grace through faith, never is salvation due to us, our works, or our merit. Everything is due to God's grace in Christ. But this new gospel that has come into their church it is a gospel that is a mix of faith and works. These false teachers who have come in, they don't deny that you need to have faith in Jesus. They simply add that those who are saved must also be very careful to keep the, New, the Old Testament with its circumcision and its rituals and its rules. Men and women, in other words, must personally, watch now, add to what Christ has done, add to what Christ has given them on the cross in order finally to be reconciled to God. Their gospel announces believe in Jesus and work hard. 
Believe in Jesus, work hard and obey, and then you will be blessed. You will be blessed by God's favor. You will be blessed by all you need to actually live. Obey, believe, be blessed. You want to please God? You want to have a personal relationship with him? Yeah, yeah, you need to believe. But you've also got to add your own works. Now, notice the ways that Paul describes this false gospel. Look at verse 7. He says it is a distorted gospel. This new gospel changes the true gospel into something different, actually something very commonplace. It's just the same old human recipe, uh, a religious recipe for self-salvation dressed up with initial faith in Jesus. The bottom line is you can save yourself by God's grace. Jesus has helped. He's gotten you started on the road to salvation. He's gotten you started. You just keep going. You better work. You better keep going. You better work to keep going if you're going to finish. It's going to be up to you. Paul also calls this gospel, notice verse 8, a contrary gospel. This gospel of faith plus works directly contradicts the gospel uh, by denying the power of the grace of God. It makes salvation dependent not upon God alone, but it makes it a joint venture between us and God. The gospel, the gospel of grace is the gospel of free grace. It is the good news that the work of Jesus Christ on the cross is a finished work and needs nobody and nothing to be added to it in order for it to work. He says that this gospel ultimately is a dangerous gospel. Look at verses 8 and 9. Verse nine, 8 is strong. It's so strong. Paul, Paul uses the strongest language, but then notice what he does next. He says it again a second time. It's as if he's got a highlighter and he's highlighting it. Let them be accursed. Condemned to judgment, condemned to hell. So for Paul, this is obviously very serious, very dangerous. Dangerous for life now, dangerous for our eternal destinies. Why though? Two reasons. And this is important for us to see. The first reason that false gospels are dangerous is because the glory of Christ and his finished work are always denied. The glory of Christ and his finished work are always denied. In other words, in a false gospel, particularly this, well, every false gospel, what is denied is that Christ is enough. False gospels will say, if you're going to have everything God has for you, yes, believe in Jesus, but you've got to do some other things as well. You want your best life now? Believe and then do some things, and then God will give you your best life now. These, new, these false gospels effectively say Christ is not enough. He's not powerful enough to save. You've got to help. He's not powerful enough to give life that is really life. You've got to help. He isn't powerful enough to satisfy. You've got to add some things to Christ in order for him to satisfy. So this new gospel effectively offers then another Jesus, weaker, more like us. Indeed, this gospel uh, always, false gospels always make less of God and more of us is why false gospels are so popular and so appealing. They tell us one way or another, you can do it. You can reach your maximum potential. God can help. God will help. Trust Jesus and work hard. The blessing is coming. This isn't the Jesus of the New Testament. This isn't the Son of God presented. 
Second reason why false gospels are dangerous is that loss of the true gospel in exchange for a false gospel puts the eternal destinies of men and women at risk. False gospels only deceive. They cannot save. Only the gospel of the grace of God in Jesus is the power of God to salvation, to change the gospel. Watch. To add anything to it. Watch. To take anything from it is to corrupt the gospel. And and, and if we add to it to say you've got to do these things also beyond believing to be saved, or if we take away from it, it's warnings of the seriousness of our sin problem if we start to delete things that are sin because uh, calling them sin in our culture is, is contrary to what our culture says is right and good. If we start doing that, then what we start doing is dumbing down the only gospel that saves. You cannot be saved by a dumbed down gospel. I said dumbed down gospel. But it's also true, you can't be saved by a dumb gospel. But I'm not preaching about dumb gospels, I'm preaching about dumbed-down gospels. Are we clear? All right, let's not get lost. Let's not get confused. When we add to the gospel, when we take away from the gospel, we corrupt the gospel that saves And that's why it has such significance. That is why Paul comes on so strong. That is why he speaks so strong. It destroys the only way of salvation given to us. It is to send to ruin souls that might have been saved by the truth had they heard it. And that is why Paul makes such a vigorous defense of the gospel here. He sees this false gospel for what it really is, and what it really is is a dangerous lie. Now, i got to say to you, if Paul takes it this seriously, we can only imagine how God the Father takes this. We can only imagine how God the Father takes this when we say to him effectively, either watch, now watch, watch. When we say to him either, A, your son was not enough, and I've got to add something to what he's done, In other words, Jesus failed. He's inadequate. Or we say, B, Jesus was a fool for dying for sins that really don't matter. He's inadequate. He's a fool. So if you really want to just kind of get a sense of how the Father feels about that when we we, uh, do that with the gospel and say that about His Son, I would just invite you, uh, cordially invite you to... Make your way over to the children's building and just wait. And when a nice uh, family comes out with their two little children in tow, mom and dad or my single mom with her kids, whoever, you just pick. You pick. And uh, what I want you to do is I want you to go up to that mom, go up to that dad and say, uh, hey, I see your, I see your three-year-old there. Uh, I, I see him. I, I just want to tell you that, that guy, he's inadequate. He's inadequate. He'll never be enough. And he's really foolish. I just want you to try that. Just walk up. Do it cordially. Do it with a smile. Just say, this kid's never going to amount to anything. And she will say, well, he's only in third grade. You go, exactly. And this is where he is? Now, 
I encourage you to go ahead and do that if you want to get a sense of how maybe the father might feel when you call his son inadequate. Uh, by the way, if you're going to try it, let us know in advance. We'll call the EMTs and have them here and ready. We, I, I don't think we uh, quite understand how deeply the Father loves the Son and how protective He is of this gospel. But, but can I go another step with you here just to say that He is uh, very protective of His Son because He loves His Son. But he's very protective of his gospel because he loves you. And you can't be saved by trying harder. And you can't be saved by picking and choosing what you want to call sin and even if you disagree with God and say, I don't have a problem. He takes his son, he takes his gospel very seriously because he takes us very seriously. He loves his son. He loves us. And so he doesn't countenance additions or deletions to his gospel. So, so what happens here? What, what, what's, what's happening here? What's happening in Galatia? What happens in our lives if we're not careful? How, how is it that we lose this gospel? It's critical for us to answer the question, how is it? It basically happens this way. Instead of protecting it as they received it as a gospel of grace, what happens is believers fail to protect it as the treasure that it is. They fail to celebrate the gospel day in and day out. They fail to celebrate the fact that God's Christ and His cross have made them rich beyond measure, have made them free beyond understanding, have made them safe for all eternity. The gospel gets lost when believers forget that Christ is more than enough for their sin, more than enough for their satisfaction. The gospel gets lost when we begin to forget that there is no better gospel, that his gospel has only cheap imitations to come alongside it that leave us with cheap lives. Only one gospel makes life count, only one gospel, makes life worth living. Every other good news, I don't care how you package it, is going to leave you as cheap as it is. As I was thinking on this uh, passage, I, I heard a black preacher's voice in my head. Not that I have that as an alter ego, I'm just saying... I heard, I heard a famous black preacher, Dr. E.V. Hill, in my head. I heard him one time, and uh, he was speaking of, of, the, of the Scripture, of the Word, and of the Gospel. 
And at one point in his message, he just paused. He stepped back from the pulpit and he said, listen. He said, the, I can't sound like him, but he said, I could try. But uh, he said, listen, here's the bottom line. When it comes to the gospel and the word of God, don't adjust it, trust it. Don't adjust it, trust it. And that, my friends, is the bottom line of Galatians. The gospel you've received, the gospel that has saved you, don't adjust it, trust it, lean into it, live by it. When the gospel comes, don't adjust it, trust it, accept it. When you're living your life as a follower of Christ, don't dumb it down, don't adjust it, keep living it, trust it. When you're sharing the gospel with someone who has not received Christ, and there are many, you get into that moment of unpacking the gospel. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, don't adjust it. Trust it. The great temptation in living our lives is to add to it and take away from it. The great temptation when we're sharing our faith is just to say, God loves you and have a, has a wonderful plan for your life. Don't you want his wonderful plan? Rather than saying, God's design was a beautiful design. But you and I, we messed it up. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You say nobody wants to hear that. Well, yeah, there are people that don't want to hear that, but there are also people who will hear it because they actually know it's the truth. Their lives are a mess, and you're not telling them anything they don't already know. What they don't know is that in the midst of all that bad news, there is some good news. I love it when you listen. Good news. Don't adjust it. Trust it. When you're accepting it, trust it. When you're living it, trust it. When you're sharing it, trust it. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Now, what does all this mean? Well, it means, first of all, that the gospel of grace with the power of God to save can actually be lost, even after it's found. The gospel of grace gets lost when true believers, watch now, no longer see the significance uh, of the cross for themselves or for the world when they no longer see why it matters because they've begun to take it for granted. It's just a story they've heard a hundred thousand times or because they've shifted their focus from dependence upon Christ to dependence upon themselves. If your testimony today would be that you're a follower of Christ, that uh, you have accepted the gospel of grace, let me ask you a question. When you hear the story of Christ's finished work on the cross, of his death taking your place there, is your heart moved?
Or do you find yourself saying, been there, done that, know that? Give me four easy steps to raise a three-year-old. Does the gospel still capture you like it captured you on that first day when you believed? Do you still stand amazed at the fact that God saved you? That he would send his son for you, that your sins have been erased with his shed blood. I mean, uh, does your heart skip a beat? Does your, do your eyes ever water up? Does it ever make you want to catch your breath that the Son of God did all that he did for you. <laughs> Gospel isn't just for the beginning of your walk with Christ. It's for all of your walk with Christ. So how does the gospel of, of grace that saves actually get lost? The best way I know how to put it is the gospel of grace is lost after it's accepted when it goes unprotected. The gospel of grace is lost after it is accepted when it goes unprotected. What was happening in Galatia was the Galatians had forgotten to protect the gospel. You see... The, the gospel of grace goes unprotected when believers lose their focus on the cross as a finished work of God's grace, something for them to accept, to live by, and share. Now, what does this mean for you personally? If you're a follower of Christ, it means that in the same way, watch now, that you came to Christ and you put Christ at the very center of your life. You put him on center stage in your life. In the same way that you did that when you came to Christ, you make a determination you're going to do that with all of your life in Christ. Christ will always take center stage in your life. If you don't have Christ at center stage, you will lose your focus and the gospel that saved you will become unprotected. Unprotected. Now, let me give you some recommendations today. If you're a follower of Jesus, to keep the gospel at the center of your life, what, what can you do? First of all, keeping the gospel at the center means rehearsing and refreshing yourself in the gospel of grace every single day. Every single day. What does that mean? I pull out my four spiritual laws and read it to myself? Well, if that works for you, do it. I don't maybe think that's it. I, I, remember, a, uh, I remember a hymn from my childhood. Uh, you may have heard it. Some of you may have heard it. Jesus, keep me near the cross. 
It was a plea. Lord, keep me rehearsing and refreshing myself in what you've done for me on Calvary. Keep me near the cross. See, I, 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 as a follower of Jesus, I know something about you and I know something about me. We're all prone to wander. We're all prone to wander. We're all prone to look to ourselves. We're all prone to trust in our achievements for life rather than leaning into Christ and confessing again and again that he's right. I can do nothing apart from you. Every believer is prone to compromise, to bow to the pressures of this world around us, to try to change the gospel of grace by adding to it or taking from it in order somehow to make it more acceptable to those who are around us. Loved one, I, I, I need for you to hear me when I say it is not enough for you simply to accept the gospel and get clear on it. You've got to make an ongoing commitment to live protecting that gospel with a firm focus. A firm focus is what gives you a firm grip on the gospel as your life's greatest treasure and God's greatest gift to the world. The gospel of grace is essentially that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It comes from no one and nothing else. Salvation comes by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no other salvation. There is no other way to live. Listen, did you hear what I said? No other salvation, no other way to live. The only way to live, the only way to die is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is the way I live my life. That is the way I keep Christ at the very center. Maybe you need to paste that on the ceiling above your bed so that when you get up in the morning, you remember that that very day, the only reason you're living and the only reason you'll be able to keep living and to keep living faithfully is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's life. That's the life worth living. That's the gospel of grace. Everything else is a lie. Everything else is a deception. What's pasted on your ceiling above your bed right now? Keep the gospel at the center. Rehearse it. Refresh yourself in it. Keeping the gospel at the center means checking yourself for signs of gospel slippage. Signs of gospel slippage. If you're taking notes, slippage has two Ps, not one.
Let me give you some, let me give you some examples to help you know when the gospel's slipping in your life. You know you're losing your grip on the gospel when you live believing and saying to yourself, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God, instead of living saying, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Let me say that again. Okay. You know that the gospel is slipping in your life when you live believing and saying to yourself, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God, instead of, I'm accepted by God, therefore I obey. It's a world of difference between the two. It's a world of difference between getting up in the morning and saying, by God's grace, I'm accepted by him in Christ. Now, then, I'm finally free to live for him. When I get up and say, I hope God likes me this morning, I hope I haven't done anything uh, thus far. I I hope that by uh, 10 p.m. I haven't so screwed up that God is not going to have any favor for me. (laughs) No, my friend. God can't give us any more favor than he's given us on the cross of Jesus. I, I get up every morning. If I find out tomorrow I've got cancer, I, I, can, I can get up. Now, it'll be hard. It won't be easy, and I'm not making light of that. But I will tell you that no matter what comes into our lives, here is the truth. Here is the reality. I have been favored by God Almighty who gave to me and for me and to you and for you the very life of his son. He cannot favor me any more than he's favored me. And that's why I keep reminding you, you don't need a three-car garage and a pony. I know you think you do because your neighbor has a three-car garage and two ponies. And you're saying, but God, I belong to you. At least I should have one. You don't need a pony. Now, if you've got a pony, it's fine with me. I mean, I'm not against ponies. God made ponies, you know. But I've been highly favored, and I did not deserve it. That's what we call grace. I know I've got gospel slippage in my life when I live performing for God rather than living with God as a son or daughter. You see, there are two ways you can look at your life as a, as a follower of Jesus. You can think of your life as being like I am right now on a platform, and you're not performing for people. You're performing for God, and you're going, God, is this okay? God, is this good? Do you like this? No, you don't. You, do you like? Which, which do you like? What, what, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? You know the gospel is slipping if that's the way you're living. See, he didn't call us to be performers on a stage. He called us to be sons and daughters who spend their lives not performing but doing life with him. There's a world of difference between doing life for God and doing life with God. So take him with you to the office. You need him there. Take him home. Take him into that marriage, into that relationship with your children. Get off 
the crazy stage and get into real life. Life is meant to be done with God before it's ever done for God. I know I'm losing my grip on the gospel when my motivation for life is based on fear and insecurity about what God might do rather than being based on a grateful joy in what God has done. I know I'm losing my grip on the gospel when I live obeying God in order to get more things from God for me rather than obeying God to get more of God in me. I know my gospel is slipping when I spend more time obeying God to get more things from him rather than obeying him to get more of him. You see, the more I live obeying him, the more I become like him. I get more of him. My, my heart ultimately should always be, I want to be more like Jesus. I want more of him in me. You know, it's, not, it's never wrong to ask for more as a Christian, so long as you're not asking for more of the wrong thing. More. When was the last time, if you're a follower of Jesus, you prayed and said, Lord, give me more. Give me more of yourself. I want more. I want more of Jesus. Less of me, more of you is a really good phrase. Hey, there's a second thing for you to stick on your ceiling above your bed. We're going to have it covered before the sermon's over. You better get to work before the Super Bowl tonight. You got stuff to do. You got stuff to do. Less of me, more of you. Less of me, more of you. I'm saved and I live by God's grace alone through, through, in. I know I'm losing my congregation when, no, I'm sorry, let's see. I know I'm losing my grip on the gospel when I live hiding the gospel because I fear people and I need them more than I love them. I know I'm losing my grip on the gospel when I live hiding the gospel because I fear people and need people more than I love people. At Center Grove, we love to say, we look most like Jesus when we're serving. A lot of people are shocked by that. Don't you, don't you mean love? And I say, oh, no, I don't mean love. We look most like Jesus when we're serving. We love most like Jesus when we're sharing the gospel. The most loving thing I can do for another person is share the good news of the gospel of Jesus with them. Because all of my acts of kindness, all of the good things I do, will never give them the gift of eternal life, but the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. If I love you, I'm going to share the gospel with you. To keep the gospel at the center means finally taking great care to encourage it among your family and friends and others. Parents, I want you to listen carefully to this because this is, this is very important, especially you. Be very careful that while you're living out your life that it is the true gospel that you're living out 
that it is the gospel of grace. That's what you're showing and that's what you're sharing. I wonder what people who know you well, if you're a mom and dad, what do your children actually think about your relationship to Christ? Are you portraying it to them as a list of rules and things to check off? Now, we got to go to church because we're Christians. Mommy and daddy are, are given a tithe. You see this little pink envelope? We're giving it because we're Christians. Uh, mommy and daddy don't do this or that because we're Christians. Uh, mommy doesn't do this because she loves Jesus. Be very careful. I'm not saying you don't teach your children how they should live because of Christ, but you don't want to convey to them that your relationship with God is all about this list of rules and regulations that you're constantly checking off. Your faith is not a faith in, in rules and in regulations to please God. Your faith is a faith in a living relationship with God in His Son. Do your children know you have have a love relationship with Jesus? Do your grandchildren know you have a love relationship with Jesus? Do your co-workers know you have a personal, living, dynamic relationship with Jesus? Do you talk about Jesus more than you talk about your church? Now, I'm glad you talk about Center Grove because people are always saying, my friend invited me. Now, I didn't say don't invite people. I said just don't give people the impression that our relationship, that, that, that the Christian faith is about church. It is. When you're saved, you're brought into a church. You can't do it solo. I've taught you that. Some of you weren't here when I taught it, so I just want to be sure you got it. Church is God's idea. If you don't like it, take it up with him. Be careful. You know, I wonder what people who know you well at the office, who know you well on the job, what, what would they say about you and your faith? Second thing, parents, I want to encourage you to do is I want to encourage you to understand the process by which the gospel can get lost in your family, by which it can be lost in our church and, and the way it gets lost in the world. Uh, Max Stiles and, and Richard Chin from Australia uh, packaged this in such a nice way. I want to share kind of their outline. But they, they point out, and, and they're absolutely right, that this is the way the gospel actually gets lost in the family. In, in, the, in one generation, the gospel is accepted and celebrated and rejoiced in, and life, lives are changed and transformed, and people enter into a vital relationship. They have children, and those children grow up, and they grow up believing that because they grew up in a, in a, in a Christian home, uh, that they are, by virtue of their growing up and going to church, uh, that they're Christians, that they... they why, where this generation accepted the gospel, this generation assumes it. Of course. I cannot tell you how many times I've sat with a couple counseling them for, for uh, premarital counseling or whatever. And I say to them, I always start, how did you come to faith in Jesus? And I can't tell you how many times I've heard from these young couples, oh, I've been in church all my life. Well, that's not what I asked. We were, in the, we were in church every time the doors were open. Well, that's really, really good, but that's not what I asked. 
I grew up in a youth group. I went to all the pizza parties. I, I, I went skiing, and I went to camp, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I'd go, great, I'm so glad. Was the pizza good? Great, but that's not what I asked. See, here's the problem. We've got generations of people who think that to be a follower of Jesus is to go on a ski trip and have Papa John's pizza. Papa John's doesn't save. Ski retreats don't save. Raising your hand, signing a card, doesn't save. What saves is a whole life embrace of the Jesus who died on the cross, took your, places for, took your place for your sin, took your punishment, and has been raised from the dead. It is a wholehearted embrace of Jesus. Pizza's good. Jesus is better. Tweet me on that. We've got a generation that doesn't understand that. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. You've got one generation that accepts it, one generation that assumes it, the next generation is completely confused by it, and they're the ones who lose it. And they're the ones going, I don't know what this is all about. It looks to me like a bunch of rules. Do this, don't do that. It looks like a really mean-spirited God. He hates sex. He hates gays. He hates divorced people. He, he hates everybody. Well, I don't want that. Because what little bit they do know is not a gospel of grace. The, what little bit they do know is this weird kind of gospel of works. 70% of the children coming from churches in America who grow up in churches, 70% of them leave the church uh, within two years and never come back. Now, there are a lot of reasons that people give for that. But I think the critical reason is the pizza does not save. We've got a generation that has never heard incredible gospel of God's amazing grace. Folks, we got to find children's ministry. We've got to find student ministry. But your kids are not going to get Jesus by osmosis. 
Don't assume your kids get the gospel of grace. Make sure they understand it and then pray down the power of heaven that they will reach out and wrap their lives around Jesus. Accept it. Assume it. Confuse it. Lose it. First question as we close is, where are you? On that continuum. Second question, where are your kids? Do you know? Hey, 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 this is urgent. Your kids have got a, a date with death. Do you know? They got a date with destiny. Do you know? Where, where are your coworkers on this continuum? Where are your friends on this continuum? Do you know? If they know, salvation is by. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's stand to our feet all across the room. We've already sadly lost one generation, and we're in our I want to plead with you in your life and in your family, get a clear, firm grip on the gospel of grace. See, one day when I'm dead and gone, you'll still be here, I'm sure. But a generation or two from now, if Christ hasn't come back, my heart is that there will be meeting in this place and, and in multiple other places, a congregation who is unashamedly centered on the gospel of God's great grace. Oh, our methods, they change, but our message must never life is found in the gospel of God's great grace. So with heads bowed and eyes closed today, honestly before God, where are you on that continuum? Have you accepted the gospel of grace or is the truth about you, you've assumed it?
Maybe you've confused it and you've rejected the God of the Bible because you thought the good news was actually bad news. Perhaps. You've never heard the good news. (laughs) And today, your heart, thirsty for more, says, yes. The living water you give Jesus that you made possible by your death on the cross, I take it. Father God, show us where we stand. Show us where our family stands, where our sons, our daughters, our grandchildren, where our mothers, our fathers stand. Show us, Father God, where our friends stand. Show us, Lord God, where our neighbors stand and show us, Lord God, how urgent it is that we keep a firm grip on the good news of your gospel. Make us, find us, those of us who have accepted your gospel, men and women, students who live protecting it by keeping it at the very center of our lives. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If today... You want to move from assuming to accepting, from confused to accepting, from lost to accepting. I'll be right here. I'll meet you right here. Come see me. Go with grace. And remember, Jesus never fails his people. The gospel should be at the center. Don't adjust it. And pray for me that I do a better job with the next service (laughs) than I did in this one. Go with grace. See ya. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.